made a simple observation, and that is uh, the number one attribute that everybody brings up when you talk about God is God's attribute of love. And it's interesting, you could go into Chicago, you can go to L.A., you go to New York, and what one person, whether they be a, a Christian or not a Christian, an atheist, they will always say the word love, that God is love. And the Bible talks about God's love, and yes, but there's a lot of misunderstanding about what love is in our culture today and throughout the centuries. And the problem is that most people don't realize that that's not the whole story. It's the foundation, it's the bottom line. But there's so much misunderstanding about the attribute of God's love. That's scary today. You know, most people, when they believe about love of God, is quite simply sometimes just basically not true. It may be what they think about God, but it's not what the Bible has to say about God. And the problem is, it's only a half-truth or a partial truth. And we know the danger of having half-truths. And so today, as we begin our journey today, as we're continuing to go through the Bible, and especially John's epistle, who was combating the Gnostics, who wanted to say that Jesus did not come in the flesh when John says we felt him, we touched him. He did come in the flesh. He's the incarnate God among us. He also said that we're sinners and that we need salvation. And they were saying, no, your body's sinful, but whatever you think about in your that is pure. And John is saying, no, you commit actions with your body, the whole being is sinful. And so that's why we need Jesus Christ to save us. And that there's a moral component. If you really want to know if you're a Christian, you will morally act and obey and follow God's way. And that you will also socially love your brother, even though they may not be as lovable as you'd like. And that also, that you also will depend on the truth of God's word for what you believe theologically. And so then he said last week, we're to test the spirits. We're not to be naive, but we're to take the scriptures from what we know and compare them. Now, John uh, I.J. Packard, this past week, I was reading him, and he says some wonderful things about God. He says, when we study God's wisdom, we're learning about God's mind. When we're studying about God's power, we're learning about his strong arm. When we study about God's knowledge, we're learning about what God sees in his eyes. When we study God's word, we're studying and learning about what he says with his mouth. But when you study God's love, we're learning about his heart. And so John today comes to us and does a huge section on the love of God, which is helpful for us in any generation, but especially in this generation, because there's so much false information about it. And look what John says. It says, first, love. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves God loves, is born of God and knows God. And he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God is manifest toward us. And that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God has so loved us, we ought to love one another. And notice what John immediately says, we ought. Now John is covered in a series of three expressions. The first expression is that God is the Spirit. He says that in chapter 1. 
But then he also says that God is light. And God sheds a light upon us so that we can see clearly about God. But John, now this third expression, he says, God is love. And love does not find God, but love is defined by God. You know, a lot of people like to say, well, if God is love, then love is God. That is not true. God is love, but love does not define God. God defines love and shows us that in all our society and all our ways. And modern society wants to sometimes says they know what love is, and it bears nothing compared to what God has about love. Christian love is a special kind of love. It's the agape love. In our society, we use in the English word one word that means a lot of different kinds of loves. And the Bible says there's different kinds of loves, and they're spelled out in different Greek words in the New Testament. And the essence of God must be his spiritually and holy. And because he is holy, so other, his love is other, so different. And so John says to us, love is the valid test of our Christian faith. The way we love people shows where we're really at in our hearts. And John wants us to say that if you have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, and the word he uses out of the Hebrew and was used in the Septuagint for the Greek, it means yada, which means an intimacy that's deeper than even the physical intimacy that a husband and wife share. But it's a deep intimacy that we know God in our heart deep down inside. And when we know God in our heart, we will love differently than the rest of the world, because it's the agape love, the God-centered love. There was a guy who wrote to Dear Abby, and he thought he was in love. In fact, he said, Dear Abby, I am in love with my wife, and I'm having two other affairs, and I'm in love with those women too. And he says, what should I do? But don't pass on any of that morality stuff to me. Sign, too much love for only one. Abby responded with her classical, and I love this, because she says, Dear, too much love for only one. The only difference between humans and animals is morality. So if you need some advice, contact your, veg your, your uh, veterinarian. She got it right. Because it's ridiculous. People don't understand that the love of God is so different. It's a deep-centered love that worries about other people rather than themselves. It's not that selfish love that this man is portraying. And there's a lot of people who think they know what love is in our culture, but they've totally missed it. The Bible shows us here this morning that this love is a giving love. It's a propitiatory love that covers sin. It has the best for another person. And there's so many different wrong views. For instance, there are people who say, well, God loves everybody the same way. He does not love everybody the same way. You and I all know, I love my wife. I love my son. I love my daughter. I love my grandchildren. But it's all different kinds of love. And here, God is the same way. He has different kinds of love. And they say his love is sovereign. And that means it describes a love that chooses to love in the way that he wishes to love. And that, it's that people can't complain about his love because he is sovereign God and he has the right to choose whoever he wishes. But you see, there's a second kind of love that people mistake when they think about God's love. They think somehow that his love cancels out unholiness. And it doesn't. God's love is a holy love. And there are unbelievers who think 
and even some Christians who think that when they reach the pearly gates in heaven, that God is just going to wink at what they did. Let me tell you something. God's love is a holy love. And his love doesn't wink at sin. His love deals with sin. And he dealt with it on the cross. In fact, God's love was the most expensive love that ever came to the world because his son had to come to the cross and deal with the wrath of his own righteousness and holiness on him so that you and I could be saved. And so God's, uh, God's love does not wink at sin and just let it pass by. He deals with it and takes care of it and propitiates for us, covers it over by his blood. And so it's very important to him that we live for him. And when people try to pass off that, well, God's going to forgive me anyway, because God is love. They don't get it. God loves definitely, and he'll forgive our sins, but it comes at a cost to him. And that's why it's so necessary that we don't pervert this view of love. If you love me, God, you're just going to accept whatever I do. That's not the case. When we love God, and he loves us, we want to be obedient to him. And if we do fall, he will forgive us as we claim the blood of Christ. But we don't look to him to wink over it because he's God of love. No, it cost him mightily a lot to forgive our sin. And this is where the world misses God's love. Again, there's another form of love that scares me today among evangelical Christians today who think that God is going to love everybody and everybody's going to be saved. And it's not true. The Bible says broad is the way that leads to destruction and many there go by it. And narrow is the way that leads to eternal life, which is following Christ, accepting his love and experiencing his love in your heart. That's the way. And it's not some universal thing that everybody, like all dogs go to heaven. That is not going to happen. And it's foolishness. On mankind's part to put that into the, the gig. And that's not what the Bible says here today. He gave his only begotten son into the world that we might live costly. And finally, the wrong idea is that God's love means that the same of God's love is love is God. And it's not true. God doesn't allow himself to be fined by love. He sets the precedence and lets us know this is what love is. It's a sacrificial giving of oneself. You know, there have been many people who come along and have been disappointed by love, the world's love. God's love doesn't disappoint us. It's there and it's forever if we truly come to know him as our Lord and Savior. We see it in the world. Tina Turner. She was so discouraged with love one time, she sang about it. And the song that she said was really talking about how love is so flippant in our culture. And her question was, what has love got to do with it? And she asked the, the word, she said it was a secondhand emotion. And that she also said it was a sweet, old-fashioned notion that everything's about love. But really, there's no such thing as love. The Bible says that's not true. The Bible says it's not a sweet little old emotion. It's God who loves on the deepest level that we could ever be loved by. And what does it have to do? It has to do with our salvation. God's salvation comes because he loved us. 
And he showed it to us through his son. You know, there's no other religion in the world that talks about love like the Bible does. You know, there's, love is emphasized in our New Testament 500 times. The Koran has it 100 times. And most of the times it talks about a man kind of love that the scriptures, that their scriptures say that God has for man. That if man screws up, he just zaps him and that's it. The Koran has that kind of perspective. And Jesus said that. In Luke chapter 6, he says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? That's what the Koran says. Even sinners love those who love them. And God's precedence of his love, where he shows us the pure love that's unconditional, unwarranted, undeserved, and unmatched, Because of what God did by sending Jesus Christ to the earth. That's the love. It's the sacrificial love that wants the best for those who don't even deserve it. And that's what God's love has to do with it. It deals with a relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. And that love, when it works inside of us and we truly understand God's love and his love towards us, it begins to work and change us and compel us to love other people. That's how we truly know we're loved with Christ by what comes out of us. Love that is denying of the self for gain for another. We try to teach this to our children. And if they don't get out of their own self-love and to loving other people, they become a disaster. And what we have here is the Bible is showing us that this relationship of God is rooted and grounded in the security of the love that God the Father has for us. It's those traits that people see Christ coming out of us. And you see that grace and that love comes because of an abiding love. John again, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he is in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent the son as a savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed that the love of God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Here's affirming of our relationship with God and the perfecting of our relationship when people see and when we see the work of God in our lives. Notice what it shows us here. The testimony that we have the Savior that God loves us. And that it comes from the Father. Verse 15. And then whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in Him. And then also too that we believe that this love abides in us and the Holy Spirit gives us testimony. And then by that testimony comes our testimony. That we love God and that God is seen by the world. You see this is what the world doesn't understand. And yet John says it's completed. It's perfected in us. All throughout the Bible, we see it. Genesis, God walked with man and had a good communion, but then sin destroyed that. And yet God continued to walk with mankind through Moses and Abraham and all those. 
And then when they went through the desert, God showed them by a pillar of cloud at the day and this fire by night that he was guiding them and being by their side. And then the magnificent temple that was built. But all through that, there came times when the children of Israel disobeyed and they wound up losing the presence of God. But then Jesus Christ came. And the presence of God comes within us now. The Israelites would be blown away if they saw what we had in this relationship, in this intimacy with God. And the glory of God now lives in our bodies. That's why it's so important what we do with our bodies is the temple of God. It's the tabernacle in which we have God within us. And that's why we take care of our bodies. That's why we take, make good health choices. Because God's temple is our bodies. And it contains the Holy Spirit within us. And God abides in us. And lives within us. And he dwells, the Bible says in us. And that abiding comes through the Holy Spirit. And what we see is this great privilege that the Israelites never knew that we have now within inside of ourselves. And this is where God's love is proclaimed through our lives. It's so fantastic that God would give us the privilege to do that. Dr. G. Campbell Morgan was one of the most famous British preachers in all the world. And he had five sons, and each son became a preacher. That's the impact his life had. But after when they were talking one day, and a person said to him, well, who is the greatest preacher out of the six of you? And they all said, our mother, because she lived Christ every day. She lived it in front of them. They followed and she was the one that was the driving force, not the great puppeteer. She never got on a pulpit, but her pulpit was in their lives every day. And that's the truth of the matter. And see, this is what John is trying to get us. There's three different witnesses. He says the witness of the believer, knowing that Jesus Christ is the Son. The witness of the Holy Spirit that he's given to us to seal that inside of us. And then the witness of our lives. These are the three great witnesses that God has given, and we are part of it because of the abiding of Christ in, through the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that's why our actions in our bodies are so important. It's like a Salvation Army worker that had this derelict woman in front of their place and trying to get her to go in to, so that she could sober up and get cleaned up and get some food in her belly, and the woman was stubborn. She just would not go. And finally, the woman sat down next to her, put her arm around her, and kissed her and says, Honey, you need help. And the woman starts to cry. And finally, stands up with her and goes inside. And this Salvation Army worker says to her, Well, why did you do that? She said, Up until that point, you kissed me. You were telling me about God's love. But when you put your arm around me and kissed me, that's when I knew you really cared about me and loved me. See, that's what we're doing here, folks. We are provers of the work of God in our lives. And it grows out of the knowing God. And then as we know God and we abide in him and we continue to put it to work, our faith develops even stronger. And the more we love God, the more we grow in the knowledge of God, the more our faith develops. And we wind up having a deeper, perfected Love for God. It's like the man who went to go to wedding anniversary to get a card for his wife. They've been married for 40 some years and he was in the store and he could not find the card that was right. 
And he said to one of the employees, Is there only, are these the only cards you had? And he said, yeah. He said, I can't find the one card here that really says something about the depth of my love towards my wife. All those were nice little saying, hallmark sayings, but they didn't say how much that 44 years of love that he had for his wife meant. We've seen, I've seen it here. When I've seen couples that the wife or the husband standing beside the beds of their dying loved one and ministering them and seeing them whisper to one another, I love you. See, it's that deep-seated love that goes beyond what even words can say. God's love here is that's what it's doing. That as we develop more and more in our love for Christ and living out the Christian life and studying to know God and practicing it, our love even feels like it doesn't, there's words that can't even touch it, how deep it is for our love for God and his love for us. Unless, and at that point, there's a whole different level of love that hits our hearts we begin to have this passionate love for the lost who don't have anything to give for God or who even hate God. My little grandson, God bless him, he's 10 years old. And he said to me, Poppy, yesterday, last week on the couch we're sitting there, he said, Poppy, I was talking about Jesus and, and my friend says, he used this curse word, the F word about Jesus. These are 10 year old kids. And he said, I told him, you're going to wind up going to you-know-where, H-E double hockey sticks, he said. And I'm thinking, oh boy, here we go. And he was stunned. But folks, this is the kind of love we need to have. I said, pray for him, Cohen, because he needs Jesus. And his heart is hard, and he needs Jesus. And the Bible says to us, this is the kind of love. You know, Jesus says this in, in the Sermon on the Mount. God permits people to hate us as Christians. And you know why that is? And Jesus said, blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you. And we're seeing it on the internet, folks. And make all false accusations. But I say to you, Jesus says this, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. You see, it's about us. He wants us to develop this deep love for people who even hate us and despise us. And whether they come to know Christ or not, that may not be the thing. He may want us just to develop our love deeper than goes beyond that hateful stuff. I had a guy who hated me. <laughs> Sadly to say, he died several months ago, and I wonder where he's spending eternity today. But he literally hated me. And I continued to pray for his soul. Because how rude and terrible he was. And it's sad. Because he could have had such a great time with everyone and also looked forward to eternity, and yet he did not. You see, it's not whether or not our neighbors change that hate us or make fun of us or mock us as Christians. What's most important is that we are faithful to our Lord 
and are secure in our love. And that's what perfects us in the love of Christ by abiding in that love and experiencing that love for even the most hateful. That's a deep love. And you see what happens with that love? It's perfected in us. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Powerful verse. The reason why we even love God is because he loved us first. And this perfecting of the love comes with abiding in him. And you see, in the Greek, the perfect love, this perfected love is a passive indicative that shows we're being changed into a completeness and a maturity in our love as we grow through these things in Christ and we apply this love that we have that makes us feel so secure that God has given to us and that we can love even the most unlovable people. And that it comes on the judgment day when we stand before God and that we are perfected in our love. And it's, it's, it's this love that has such a deep value to it. And it comes the more and more we appropriate it in our, our lives. That love becomes patient. That love doesn't hurry. That love is rooted in God's love and is not fearful. It's not afraid of what people say about us. You know, the world's love, everybody in, that says their love, it, it's never forever love. It's here today and gone tomorrow. Where they feel it. And we see that in the music of our culture. And yet, how many times we see that solid love that lasts forever? It's a love that brings confidence in us for God's love. When you're regenerated, and you're changed by Jesus Christ in your heart. And the Holy Spirit takes up its resonance. It brings a comfort. It encourages us. It sustains us through all kinds of things. And then this love comes. Uh, that's God-centered love inside of us. And it puts up with all kinds of stuff. And it's not afraid to die. How many times I've sat by a bedside of people who are so fearful of dying. And then there's other people who just know their love has been perfected. And they trust Jesus and they know where they're going. They're at peace with it. You know, with COVID, we've seen so many people fearful of dying. There's people that are scared to death of getting COVID. Wouldn't even get out of their house for months. And the Bible says there's coming a day when we all will die. Is the love of God perfected in us? Do we have that peace inside of us that we know for certain that whether we live or whether we die, we're his forever? John writes it. He says, because, because he first loved us. I can't imagine. Well, I guess I can I can remember when my brother and I would fight. 
when my brother and I would fight and we'd get ourselves, and then my sister would say, or my mom would say, wait until dad gets home. <laughs> oh boy, we were scared to death. That's the way the world acts when they know they're going to die. And yet we as Christians have this perfected love that is the greatest truth, that God loves us. He took us in and saved us and changed us. This is why many people go out as missionaries. My niece is planning to become a missionary and go out into the world. And it's because of the love of Christ that's compelling her. There are some people who can never even seem to, to understand that. And there's people who we all know, I know, that are never pleased with my performance or what I do. But you know what's wonderful? I don't have to answer to them. I answer to Almighty God, whose love is perfecting me. It's an agape love that accepts me as I am. Fourteen times John says it in these few short verses that he loves. It's the love of God that's perfecting us and gives us this confidence so that on the day of judgment we have nothing to fear. And that we know our destiny is sure because of that love. And that there will be people who will stand at the judgment seat of God. And if their names are not going to be written in the Lamb's book of life in Revelation chapter 20, and they're going to be thrown into hell because they refuse to love God. And then there are those who love God. And the word that's used in the Greek is bima. It means this judgment seat that we will stand for as Christians is not for condemnation. Paul says in Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But rather it's for commendation. That at that time, Jesus will pass out the rewards to those who have followed him and accepted his love and ab ab abided in his love. And that our debt has been canceled. And even the crown that we receive with all these rewards on it, these diadems, we will cast them before the feet of Jesus because he is so holy and perfect. We don't need them. We just have a love that he has given to us and we feel it and it's been perfected in us. And it cancels out all our debt and gives us total joy in being his presence. And we have no fear of death. And so finally, John folds it up. And he comes in verse 20. And he says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who knows does not love his brother whom he has seen. How can he love God whom he has not seen? You see the logic? He says, if there's somebody here that you're called to love and you see him and you don't love him, how are you going to love God if you've not even seen him? See, because the love of God should make you love them. And notice what he says. Verse 21, the commandment is this, that we have from God, that he who loves God must, there's no choice, he must love his brother also. There is no second guessing God on this one. 
The person who's hard to listen to and talk, that person that's so different than us from political views, we still need to love them. The person that's hurt us and we're called to forgive, we have no option but to love him. That family member or that person who may for us seem to be odd and we don't like them and they scare us or they're mentally ill and we don't know how they're going to act, we still have to love them. The person who disagrees with us, we still have to love them. No matter how strong our faith is, we still have to love them. The Bible says it. God says it. What did Paul say in 1 Corinthians 13? Well, I can have the faith to remove mountains. I can have the faith to understand all the great theological truth in the world. But if I do not have love, I'm like a sounding gong that's calling people to worship an empty God, a pagan God. Jesus said to love God with all your heart and all your understanding, with all your strength. To love your neighbor as yourself is more important than even the burnt offerings and sacrifices you bring to me. No matter how devoted you are, if you don't have love, it's nothing. And we're fools. If we think we're pleasing God by devotions and reading and all that stuff, which is great, But if it's not out of love, it's nothing to God. I was reading William Barclay's commentary. He made an interesting observation. He said, more people have been brought to church by the kindness of real Christian love than by all the theological arguments in the world And more people have been driven away from the church by the hardness and ugliness in so-called Christianity than by all the doubts of the world. Theological arguments are great, and he's not saying that, that they're not important. They are important. And biblical knowledge is important. But folks, if we do it without the love of God in our hearts, it's nothing. One of the most influential theologians of our time was a guy by the name of Karl Barth. He was out of Germany, and his big thing was that he helped the church about is the interaction between faith and culture. And before World War II, he opposed Hitler. And because of his refusal to sign an oath of loyalty to Hitler and his regime. He was deported to Switzerland. After the war, he came back to America to speak at Chicago Divinity School. And one of the people who was attending during the Q&A time asked him, in your opinion, what is the essence of the Christian faith? And Barth stood there for several minutes. And everybody was waiting for this deep theological maxim that he was going to say. And he said, 
Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Right on target. One of the greatest loves that we could ever have is from Christ and that God loves us. One of the saddest things was a little girl by the name of Whitney Houston who sang in a church choir out of Newark, New Jersey. Came to have one of the most beautiful voices that could ever be heard. And two nights before she died, she was in a Hollywood nightclub and she was spotted by the promoters. And they asked her if she would come forward and sing a song for them. Nobody knew that this was going to be her last performance. And when she got up on stage, she sang, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And she finished that song, and that was her last performance. And I don't know about you, but I hope you, along with me, will sing that for the rest of our lives, because that's the love that we need. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love. And that little song that we learned as children, how powerful is the message to us, Lord? We are so grateful that you loved us, even when we were so unlovable, even before the foundation of the world. And today we know in our love that we have in our hearts has been perfected because of your love that is perfecting us every day. Help us, Jesus, to remember every day that we are loved by you and that we know that and because we know that, that you will continue to propel and bring desire in our hearts to love others and to show the love of Christ to the world and that we don't have to fear anything, even death itself, because we know we're loved and that we want to share that love and experience your love on so many deep levels so we can be a bright and radiant shining love to this world that so badly needs it. In Jesus' name, amen. As a reminder to us of that great love, we're going to receive the Lord's Supper. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Dear beloved in the Lord, that we may now receive that sacrament to the Lord's Supper to our comfort. Let's all examine our hearts, whether we believe that Jesus faithful witness to us, that we are forgiven by Christ, by his passion and death and resurrection, and that we purposely want to live true, thankful lives for that love and walk in faithfulness to him. For those who are such minded, God will certainly receive in mercy and count them worthy partakers of this table of his love. We are also to consider that in the instituting of the supper, the Lord Jesus gave us a remembrance. And he pledges to us his love and his faithfulness toward us. And that we don't need to doubt it. That he will feed and nourish us, our souls, to everlasting life with the remembrance of this crucified body and his shed blood, 
as we break this bread and drink of this cup that he has given to us in remembrance of him. Let us humbly enjoy this wonderful grace now. The Lord Jesus, the night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which has been broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. remembrance of the body of Jesus Christ that was broken for us. Amen. In like manner also Jesus took the cup. And when they had supped, he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do you as you, often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. Remembrance of the blood of Jesus Christ that washed away all of our sins. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for that love. That you sent your son to die for us. And that you've covered our sins and taken them away and renewed us and given us eternal life. Thank you, Lord. Continue to perfect your love in us. And it's through Jesus Christ we pray this. Amen. Please rise with me as we close with the benediction and we sing our closing song. Now God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, shine in your hearts to bring the love of Jesus Christ to the world. Amen.